Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, we are currently in a uh, sermon series for uh, January, which is uh, moving forwards in a culture going backwards. And uh, we've been doing a few talks over the last few weeks talking about how that looks. Uh, Today we're going to be into Acts chapter 10, but uh, please raise your hand if you know the name Mahatma Gandhi. A few people there, some giving away their age, some maybe giving away the history classes. Mahatma Gandhi was a very powerful figure who fought for equality and peace for all people. Particularly, he worked hard for harmony amongst his own Indian people uh, early last century. Did you know that Gandhi nearly became a Christian? In his early days of studying law in England, in the universities over there, he spent much time reading the Bible and particularly the Gospels. Uh, The person in the life of Jesus Christ spoke very powerfully into the life of Gandhi, particularly as he thought about trying to bring peace into the caste system that was in India. So Gandhi one day went to a local church to see a minister and find out more about Jesus and salvation. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi walked up to the front door of the church and entered into the sanctuary and then the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. If Christians have caste differences, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. Very powerful statement. Very powerful situation that took place as well. What is that when he experiences that? It's racism. It's discrimination and it's prejudice. So we're going to think about that today as we come into Acts chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles here, go to Acts 10. We're going to start reading verse 9. Starting at verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision uh, that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was asked, when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked them, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that we can have this awesome privilege to gather around your word. And we ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just bring this word alive. Let it burn in our hearts. Let it shatter and break down the walls of racism. Let it dismantle that, Lord, and let your love, as it were, flow out through us into all the nations with a proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we ask for your help now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so yes, continuing this sermon series here of uh, moving forwards in a culture going backwards, and today we want to pick up on this passage here from the book of Acts. You might be wondering, what's the book of Acts? The book of Acts is like the bridge between the four gospel accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then we have the letters of the apostles written to the various churches. And the book of Acts fills in this gap here in between there and links the two together. Luke is the writer of Acts and he captures the first 30 years of the church. That's about the time period of the book of Acts there. uh, After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as the gospel, as it were, expands and grows around the world according to God's sovereign purposes and God's perfect timing. And what Luke does in the book of Acts is pick out significant events, really strategic turning points here that bring dramatic change of gospel transformation in the church. And Acts chapter 10 is one of those really big events in the early church. You might just read through that and think, oh, what's that mean? It's a big deal. It's nothing small. It's a big deal what's taking place here in chapter 10. It's so big it sent shockwaves right throughout the early church in its thinking and its attitudes. God, through Peter, totally shifted their thinking about other nations or groups of people outside of the Jewish nation or of people as well. It's an event here that God reveals God's impartiality and his desire to offer the gospel to all people without regard. 
So our big idea today as we think about that is going to be this. The gospel is a universal call to all of humanity, universal call to all of humanity, through which the same gospel dismantles, destroys, and we're going to see here, kill it later on, all forms of racism. Okay, let's jump into it. Why does Acts 10 particularly send shockwaves, as it were, through the early church? Why would this have been a massively controversial issue of the day when the early church read through Acts chapter 10 from Luke's letter? Something would have sent shockwaves through them. Well, to see how this is a shockwave, we need to see and understand who Cornelius is, who we saw at the, oh, at the end of this chapter, but he's also at the start of the chapter as well, and what that would have meant, who Cornelius is, and what that would have meant to the predominantly Jewish community of the church of that day. Cornelius, uh, we saw bits there and bits and pieces, he's a Roman centurion. Uh, he's a leader of a hundred soldiers. You get the word century, centurion, the leader of a hundred soldiers. He's a part of the Italian cohort or group or army of soldiers. Uh, being a centurion, he's a man of authority and he's a man of respect. He commands that. We saw also there that Cornelius is a man closely following the Jewish religion. He said that he's a God-fearing man. He reverenced uh, the, the monotheism or the Jewish God. It also led his family to do so as well. So not only him, but he actually led his family to reverence uh, God as well. He generously gave of his finances and resources that he had, and he prayed regularly, we see there, about this man Cornelius. Cornelius also was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. All Jews categorised anybody who wasn't of Jewish descent a Gentile. So if we had Orthodox Jews sitting here amongst our congregation today, uh, they would see all of us, unless somebody here is Jewish, they would see all of us as Gentiles. So somebody who's a Gentile who was outside of the Jewish nation of people uh, by birthright. Perhaps to understand here this difference between Jews and Gentiles, uh, we need to actually see here it started back uh, in the Old Testament where God had told the Israelites not to mix with the spiritual practices of the other nations around about them. In other words, God was saying, separate yourselves from these people and their false spiritual practices so you don't get influenced by them. God had called the nation of Israel to himself and he was saying, don't be influenced by their false religions and their false worship, just stay with me. But as time went on, uh, the Jewish people took these warnings of God to a whole new level. It wasn't just avoid their influence, they took it to a whole new level altogether. This separation now that was fuelled by pride within the nation of Israel and the Jews saw themselves as the chosen people of God and all other people, Gentiles, Jews, saw all other people with this now fuelled by pride as basically second-class citizens or economy class at best. And where pride really got a hold of some Jews, it just went another level again, although it's already gone next level once, it went another level again. When the, when the Jews got this pride really going in their lives, they saw Gentiles, not only said Gentiles, Gentiles as low-life scum, dogs, unworthy to be called human beings, 
a significant challenge and difference here between Jews and Gentiles of this particular day when Peter is writing uh, Acts chapter 10 and giving us this story. And this gets to the point here where Jewish law forbids any Jew, forbids any Jew to associate with a Gentile, not even to visit them. And we see that there in the first half of verse 28 when Peter actually says this to Cornelius. And he says there, and he said to them, this is Peter, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. He's declaring it. This is, this is where we've got to as far as Jews are concerned. We don't mix with anybody else. We're totally separate. Now the word isn't used here, but what's taking place is racism. Racism. What does racism mean? Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual, community or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is in a minority or marginalised. And that's precisely what the Jews are doing here with the Gentiles in this current state of the church back 2,000 years ago. It's prejudice and it's discrimination against another group of people. Racism is nothing new. We might see it headlined in the the news at the moment, but it's not new. It's something back in the book of Acts. And it's not actually unique just to the book of Acts. It really is today in all forms right across this world. What made news headlines out of the Sydney Test match the other week? If anybody watched there on that last day. Racism. What happened? A couple of Aussie supporters, probably had a bit too much alcohol, started verbally abusing this Indian fast bowler, calling him all sorts of insulting names and verbally abused him purely based on his nationality and who he represented. It actually stopped the game for about 10 minutes, it got so bad, until they sorted things out. That's in Sydney just a few weeks ago. Is that not... Prejudice and discrimination against a particular ethnic group? It's not only in Sydney. It's also here in the Goulburn Valley as well. It's here in Shepparton. It's here where we live. In fact, the root of racism is in all of our hearts. It's in all of our hearts. What goes through your mind when you drive down St George's Road here in Shepherd and you see all those shops with different languages written across the, the windows of those shops? We, we refer to it as Little Baghdad on St George's Road. What do we think about that when we see that sometimes? Or think about this. If we had new neighbours who were moving in next to us, who would we rather have move in next to us? A Muslim family from Iraq who speak a different language? Or an Aussie family just like us? Who would you rather move in next door to you? Or what goes through your mind when you see successful Asian people doing really well for themselves here in Shepparton? 
do you admire their success or you just wish they weren't here? Or what about this? Well, it goes through your mind when you see the Indian community uh, walking around here in the streets of Shepherd and dressed in their turbans and in their saris on our streets. Do we appreciate the cultural difference and diversity? Or would you rather them keep off the streets? You see, how do we respond to some of those questions? What thoughts come through our mind? Negative thoughts are very simply this. It's racism. Racist thoughts. And what are these racist thoughts? If the truth be known, it's outright sin, isn't it? They're evil thoughts. They're sinful thoughts and actions about other people. But you see, what we've got to see is that the root of sin that drives this racist, prejudiced behaviour comes, I think, in sort of three main categories. It's sort of the sin beneath the sin that drives this racism. Here's the first one, I think, is one of the drivers of racist thoughts within us in a sinful way. And it's this. It's the sin of pride. It's the sin of pride that's the sin beneath the sin. See, we just think that we are better than these other people. We think we are more educated than these people. We think that we are more intelligent than these people. We think we are more, imp- we are more powerful than these other people. And we probably think we're more cooler than these other people as well. Other nations. So what do we do? We look down upon them as second class, not as good as us, not as good as me. We look down upon them as less than me. What is that? That's pride. That's inflating myself and squashing somebody else down. It's sinful pride that doesn't value these people as made in God's image just like me. Here's the second sin beneath the sin that drives racist activity. It's the sin of jealousy. Jealousy fuels our racism or prejudice towards other people. You see, we get jealous of what they've achieved or the success that they've attained. We get jealous because of the income they may have and the wealth that they've accrued. We get jealous over other people from other nations and the job they've got and the career they've got. We wish we had that job and that career. Jealousy rises up within our hearts and it fuels racism. We want what they've got. So therefore we get jealous of them. And out of that comes racist behaviour. Here's the third sin, I think, which is one of the main primary drivers of the sin beneath the sin that drives racism. It's the sin of not loving others which stirs up our sinful racism. We just don't generally like others because they aren't like us. They're not like me. They don't dress like me. They don't eat the same food that I eat. They don't show the same interest in the same things that I do. They're just different to me. They don't speak the same language all the time like I speak. And as silly and as small as that difference is, it's more than enough for us, apparently, to not love people and then treat them with disrespect and unkindness just simply because they're different to me 
and I don't like that difference. I don't love them. See, where do all these sinful responses here of pride and jealousy and unloving, where does this stem from? This stems from a heart that's turned our back upon God our Creator, turned upon the way we have been made and created in His image to love all people, to now be picking and choosing who we will love and who we will show kindness to. You see, one day Jesus was asked by a religious teacher, and he said, this teacher says, what is the greatest commandment that we have from God? And Jesus answered him in Matthew 22, and he says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour. Who's your neighbour? Anybody made in the image of God. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Pretty comprehensive what Jesus answers that religious teacher in that day. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. You see, racism stems from a sinful heart not loving God and not loving others as we should. People who are made in the image of God, just like any person sitting in this room today, thoroughly deserve our love. Not only deserve it, we are commanded by God to love them as well. How dare we rebel against God's commands to not love other people? They are worthy of our love. You see, racism, fueled by hatred and violence, is a culture going backwards. Not living the way we were created to live. It's going backwards. And you see, this is why Acts chapter 10 is a massive turning point here for the early church. It is way bigger than we could ever think of. You see, Peter has gone to talk to the Gentiles. He's gone and visited Cornelius' house, who are considered unworthy to talk to. You don't go and talk to second-class citizens. See, the early church was marked by racism that had been ingrained into its culture over thousands of years, thousands of years. So God here makes a big change in the heart of this church, the early church here through the gospel. So what do we see? The Apostle Peter gets this vision here from God in chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, and this vision is like this picnic blanket that sort of comes drifting down before Peter. It's got all these uh, creepy, crawly foods and animals and reptiles and birds, this whole range of stuff, but it's all considered unclean by Jewish law. So Peter sees this blanket come down and he hears this voice here from God in verse 13. And verse 13 says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter replies in verse 14, after he sees this blanket and hears these words, in verse 14 he says, Oh, no way, Lord, no way! I'm a good Jew. Good Jews never eat that sort of stuff. We don't eat these creepy, crawly reptiles and birds and things. Then God says to him again in verse 15, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now Peter hasn't got it at this point. He hasn't got it. He's just seen it and he hasn't got it. He actually sees it three times. And I sort of understand that because I'm a bloke as well and sometimes us blokes are really thick. You don't get it on the first vision. You sort of, oh, did I see that? No, nah, I think... Oh, I saw it three times. 
God's really trying to communicate something here to Peter. It's just not once. He, no, no, I'm going to give this to you three times so you make no mistakes about this, Peter. There's no second guessing here. So what has happened? This happens three times. And at right at that precise moment, Cornelius's crew that he sent from the day before, they arrived downstairs at the, at the bottom of this house looking for Peter, calling out for him at that precise moment that he's just finished that vision. So the Spirit, Holy Spirit tells Peter, go down, there's three people looking for you down there, go down and go with them to uh, their house. Now if you just glance through that verse like really quickly, you miss something really important. How does all that happen just bang, bang, bang all at the same time? God's orchestrating providence is pulling all that together. He has this, tra- uh, this vision. These two, three guys have left like the day before. Walk, 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 walk about 30 kilometres and they get there and he's just finished his vision and they call out, Peter! This is all God pulling all this together in his orchestrating providence. So Peter arrives at Cornelius, the Gentiles' home, which is forbidden under Jewish law, and then the Spirit makes everything clear to Peter. Now, as he gets there, look again in verse 28. And he said to them, as he's arrived now, back to Cornelius and his household, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Wasn't about the food. That was sort of the object lesson given to Peter. It's actually how you were thinking about other people, Peter. Don't call anyone common or unclean. And we really know Peter's getting this because in verses 34 and 35 he goes again and says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, not just the Jewish nation, but in every nation, anyone, not just the Jewish people, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He got it. I dare say it probably would take me three goes as well to get it too. God makes it clear now. Racial prejudice or discrimination towards anyone is sinful and is wrong. Anyone without question. Peter says, God tells me that I should see no one as common or unclean. No one. And And God shows no partiality to anybody. All equal in God's sight. What should I do? I should love all people, respect all people, value all people as made in the image of God. Now, just to authenticate this for Peter, because he might have just, because he goes on then to actually uh, spread the good news of who Jesus Christ is, and, and just to authenticate this, as he's sharing the good news with these Gentiles, these unworthy ones, the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles in Cornelius's house. They all speak in tongues, just like Peter, and the others did at Pentecost. And this blows Peter away. It's like, it's like God's seal of approval here that the gospel really is for the Gentiles, just like they experienced on the day of Pentecost, uh, maybe some years before, it's now happening to the Gentiles. Peter and them, they just can't deny this. Now, this truly is God. The same gift that God gave to us on the, the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, he's given to the Gentiles. They're doing the same thing. The whole lot of them there thought, this is crazy. But it's true, and we can't deny it. This is the gospel going out to the Gentiles. You see, this is no small thing for the early church. 
They just thought it is not meant for the Gentiles. This is a major, major shift of attitude with the gospel going deeper and deeper into their lives and transforming who they are and how they think. And just to make it sort of help you see this, Luke records this story again in the very next chapter where Peter is actually criticised when he goes back to Jerusalem because they find out, you've gone to the... You went to where? What did you go there for? He's criticised for going to the... So he repeats the story again, or Luke does it to actually communicate to us This is how big this is. This is not small. What's he doing? Luke's recording for us this massive work of the Holy Spirit opening up the gospel to go deeper into the lives of the early church, to dismantle, to pull down, to tear away the sin of racism and prejudice right there and then. You see, the gospel is universal. And the gospel is God's plan for all people to hear it, wishing that they would... Repent and come to him. Racism. Fueled by pride, jealousy and lack of love is deeply entrenched within us. Some people are at extreme levels, some people are at minor levels. Every single person has a taint of it, at least within us. And we're helpless, utterly helpless by self-effort to kill, to deal any killing blows, as it were, to rid ourselves of this evil, of this racist thoughts that rise up in our hearts. It's just amazing. I'm sure those two guys at the test match weren't going there that day thinking, oh, we're going to abuse Siraj, that fast bowler, and give him a whole mouthful. I'm sure they weren't planning that on that day when they went. It just happened later on the day. shows how helpless we are and how quickly it just arrives and erupts out of us. You see, there's only ever been one person, one person in the entire history of humanity that could truly ever love all people equally without prejudice and without discrimination. Jesus Christ, the only one. Look at how he speaks here in John chapter 3. He says this, For God so loved the world... Not the Jews, not just the Aussies, not just the Americans. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves all the world, all people, all nations, with no partiality. Everybody's treated the same. And Jesus' death on the cross gives us the ability to be forgiven of our racist sins and also not only that, but to be renewed with a new heart, to be set free from pride, set free from jealousy, set free from lack of love and to now love all people equally by the power that Jesus gives us through his death and resurrection. And there's a beautiful picture of this, how Paul the Apostle saw this, particularly in Ephesians 2. We're going to read through just a few verses now out of Ephesians chapter 2, where he describes here what Jesus has done. He says this to the Ephesians, a church made up of Gentiles and Jews. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, cut off from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Doesn't look good there, does it, at that point? 
Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made us both two men, one man, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's that? Racism. He's broken that down by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby just feather-touching the hostility? Did he just give it a feather touch? He killed it. He dismantled it. He destroyed it. He broke it down by his blood that we now get a portion of when we become born again. Killed the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Isn't that a beautiful passage of scripture? The way Jesus Christ has broken down racism actually kill the hostility and makes us not two but into one that's what Jesus does he makes us into one new person Jesus kills this hostility racism by his blood poured out upon the cross to set us free from racist sins and now to set us free to live for him so who are we to hold back any love to somebody else when we've received such undeserved love from God. So who are we to hold our love back to others? If that's the case, we haven't got the gospel. It actually hasn't registered in our mind what Christ has done for us. If we think we can hold our love back for others, we didn't get it over here. It can't be. But when we get it, and we live like that, as we're called to, That's moving forward in the gospel amongst the culture going backwards. It's really important, guys. It's really, really important that we say that. It's a big deal for the early church back then. See, the gospel isn't a white man's gospel from colonial days. This is not something that's come from England on ships in 1788 and we've actually brought the gospel to Australia. The gospel isn't a black man's gospel. The gospel isn't an Asian or Indian gospel. It's not that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's gift to all mankind. All mankind from him alone. It's a glorious, glorious gift. And we get this privilege to live it out by grace. To know him and to discover the one who's actually destroyed these hostilities and broken down these walls and makes the two people into one. And then to reveal this to all the nations to show his remarkable glory. So how will we do this? How will we do this? How will we show that this hostility has been broken down? First thing we do, we must set our mind on the gospel for all people. Meditate upon the gospel for all people through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Get the gospel firmly fixed in our minds, thinking and reflecting and meditating on what Jesus has done for all people. Then, then with the gospel firmly in us, actively go out there and make friendships with people of other nations. 
Look for people of other nations and make friendships with them. Spend time getting to know them. Discover their challenges and the joys in their life. Go out of our way to intentionally connect with those people who speak a different language who live right beside us or over the road from us. Connect with them through hospitality. If they ask you over for a meal at their house, go. Go. Enjoy it. Get to know them. We've got many people in this church here from other nations as well. It's a blessing. Make time to get to know them. Have you done that? Or have you avoided perhaps some people in this church of other nations? You see, if you actually get to know them, this is what you'll discover. They're just like me and you. Same joys, same challenges, same dramas in life. I've gotten to know some Indian people really, really well, and I've discovered they're just like me. Sid's not here today, but if you go to Sid's house, he's got a whole bunch of cars. He's a rev head. He just loves his cars. That's great. Just lo- Not that I'm a rev head, but, you know. Second thing you can do, actively pray for the conversion of other nationalities within our own region. Pray for the conversion of other nationalities within our own region. The Goulburn Valley is a very multicultural region. Very multicultural region. We actually have probably the largest indigenous population in country Victoria right here in Shepparton. That's a great thing. That's a blessing for us. Greater Shepparton has about 20% of people who are born overseas. That's a big percentage. That's one in five people born overseas. And the population forecast for Shepparton, which is meant to grow by about 15 to 20,000 people over the next 15 years or so, 15 to 20 years, the population growth forecast is meant to be mainly people from other lands immigrating here to Australia and settling in Shepparton. That's a mission field. That's a great mission field. I think that's a powerful picture of the gospel here, is a church, as it were, bursting at the seams with a whole diversity of nations unified together around Jesus Christ. What will that do? That will make a resounding statement to the people here living in our community. The power of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel to tear down these walls of hostility and to make one new person living in peace and harmony. And I'm praying for that. I am praying, I am longing to see that. It's in the beginning stages here at Exchange, but I would love to see our church, this church, filled with Asians, filled with Asians, loving and worshipping Jesus. I would love to see this church, Exchange Church, filled with Indians, Africans and any other nationality, loving, worshipping, serving Jesus. Why do I want to see that? Because it's powerful. It's gloriously powerful. It's this stunningly beautiful picture of the gospel that just uh, melds these people from all different walks of life and nationalities and pulls them together and makes them into this beautiful harmony of people following Jesus Christ. It makes a stunning representation of the community around about us of just how powerful Jesus is. You see, that's a culture moving forwards in a gospel amongst another culture that's moving backwards. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come and gather around your word today. We, Father, we thank you again for this uh, picture we see here in Acts chapter 10. 
Uh, Lord, this is no small chapter in the Bible. This is momentous. Perhaps today, Lord, just as I'm speaking now and people are feeling the gravity or the weight of your word there in Acts chapter 10, maybe it's feeling momentous in some hearts here right now. Maybe there's people here who have looked upon other nations, other nationalities, our indigenous community, looked upon them, Lord, and wishing they weren't here. Wishing they didn't have the jobs that they did have. Wishing that these nations, Lord, would just go back to where they came from. God, I pray, let your grace flow into their hearts now and let the love of Christ at the cross break down these walls of hostility to kill this hostility, as Paul told us in Ephesians, to be replaced by the love of Christ that reaches out to love all people, all people. Lord, may we be at Exchange Church here a church for all cultures, all nationalities, all nations, that it would be a powerful witness of the gospel into this uh, community where we live, that you people have got something. You can get all these nations together. And you can put your arms around each other. God, I pray, please build that here at Exchange. Build this in our hearts, I pray, by building a bigger vision of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Father, we ask that today. We pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 